hello everybody at home. Welcome back to another episode of Booch Please Podcast. It's your girl Corinne, your host. Today I am joined in the house studio by a very, very lovely guest. Uh, her name is Casey and she is an instructor at DTS. She is also a trainer at All Day Fit. She's just very well connected in the fitness community. I'm gonna get her to introduce herself and then today we're gonna chat all about disordered eating, counting macros, and just our experiences working in the fitness industry in general. Cool, Thanks, Without further Karen. ado. Take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Hi everyone, I'm Casey Savaletta. Like she said, I'm an instructor and an educator at DTS Fitness Education. I am a longtime personal trainer. I've been working with All Day Fit for the past three years. Um, Way before that, I was a dancer. So that's kind of my movement background, yeah. And now I'm also- says it all. Right, right. You guys are watching the video, she's like perfect and pristine, and I'm like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was your that was your start in yeah. fitness. Yeah, it was. So that was my start in movement, um, and and I think that it gave me a really interesting base for understanding movement quality. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't speak the language of strength and conditioning, it still gave me the eye. I think for movement and alignment mm-hmm. and just an interesting perspective. I think when I when I brought um, sort of the strength and conditioning sides to to that background. Um, yeah, and I'm also a nutritional therapy practitioner. That's right! Yeah. Congratulations Thanks. on that. It's Thanks. a great program. Yeah, Huge yeah. I love that program. Learned so much. I love the holistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so it's cool to get some formal education in nutrition as well because mm-hmm. I think that probably as we're going to talk about, when it comes to wellness, fitness, nutrition, there's so many sides to this whole picture and it's really hard mm-hmm. to just say like, I am a trainer because inevitably the nutrition questions come also, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, people have struggles with fitness and then the struggles with nutrition come right with it. So I think to now have the education in both sides has been really good and Absolutely. served me quite well. Yeah. I feel like dancers, as far as I know, are people that really appreciate longevity. Like a lot of them understand that I need to be doing this for a long time. Mm. And so I need to warm up. I need to take care of injuries. Of course, there's like you hear stories of people pushing through pain or like their toes are bleeding and they're still doing (laughs) ballet. There's that resilience to it. But um, there's also I just respect the I guess the discipline so Mm. much. I like that word. I, I think there's a reverence for your body and what you can do. But also, you know, you reference feet bleeding. Like there's also an element of just get your body into the position and if it hurts and if it like, like just do it. Like, you know, you just kind of are like manipulating your body whether it feels good or not. And like, so for example, like some people's anatomy isn't set up where they're just gonna easily be able to get their leg like right up by their ear, right? But you gotta just do whatever it takes, even that's something that's not great for your low back or whatever, just to get your leg there because it's so much about aesthetics, okay. if that makes sense. And interestingly, that that focus on aesthetics, I think is part of the reason why I ended up experiencing disordered eating and eventually full-blown eating disorder. I, mm-hmm. think, I think that that was definitely an underlying factor, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Casey has her own brilliant podcast. It's called it's how called, do you feel? How do you feel? I was going to say, how are you feeling? <laughs> Close, That's I like the that. colloquial version <laughs> yeah. of the name. It's how do you feel? Like that. <laughs> You're grammatically correct. Um, and in there, one of my favorite episodes, I, or one that really struck me, was when you talked about your experience with disordered eating. There, Even though I've never been a dancer, I feel like there are so many similarities 
And I'm sure you've heard that from other women who have not been dancers or who have had different journeys with eating disorders. Um, why don't you tell us a, a little bit more about, I guess, um, how that experience started and then uh, where it went from there and how mm -hmm. you got to the place that you're at now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, I think that disordered eating in general and honestly, full-blown eating disorders are something like it is so common. This mm -hmm. is like almost every single person, like since I've opened up about my eating disorder, almost every single person I talk to that's in fitness or nutrition in some way, they say, yes, I've experienced something similar. Mm -hmm. So it's just crazy how there's something about the way that our world approaches fitness and nutrition that really does lead people down this path. And then, you know, we're kind of left to navigate our way out of it. So I think it's really interesting and something that I think is important to talk about because of that. But for me, like I said, I think being in an aesthetic-based art form definitely contributed because you're staring at yourself in the mirror all, all the time, right? You're trying to make your body look a certain way. So I think that was part of it, but that wasn't the whole, the whole story. Um, I think like deep down, I didn't have confidence in myself as a human. Like I didn't have that deep down understanding that I'm worthy, I'm valuable. And so I think what happened was, like, as my body started to change, like, I, I found fitness, I found, like, how I could manipulate my nutrition. As my body started to change, I got a lot of praise and attention. Mm. And that made me feel better about myself. Because those compliments, I almost needed them. I needed the reassurance because I didn't have the reassurance within me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there were underlying beliefs and the circumstance, the fact that you were a dancer or this was the avenue you chose to pursue, it just brought it out or made it surface more, yeah, yeah, more I visible. Think that, I think there were both contributing factors. Yeah, sure. exactly. And yeah. definitely beliefs and it, were, yeah, a huge part of it too. In, in this case, like dance isn't necessarily the problem, right? Or the dance right. industry, although there are very problematic elements to that industry, but it's the fact that there was a lack of confidence to start with. And mm -hmm. that's incredibly mm -hmm. relatable. Um, going back to what you said about like every single person in the fitness and wellness industry having some experience with disordered eating, I think people see disordered eating as something so sensationalized, mm -hmm. especially with documentaries and um, exposés or videos on like the fashion industry. People think like she must be a twig in order for her to have anorexia or bulimia or some sort of disordered eating where in reality it's such a spectrum like people can have really mild symptoms or beliefs and then people can be really severe but they also can look any sort of way and still have disordered eating um, so I think that's why it's harder to catch when people look quote-unquote healthy um, but then they're exhibiting really really unhealthy behavior yeah it's so true it's something that can affect everyone and it's something that where the behaviors that are disordered and the language around it is so normalized. So mm. we don't even know how to identify it yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually just watched um, a video from this lovely lady named Shelby Lawson, and she broke down the, the almost like the entire concept of body inclusivity or body positivity. And she broke it down to four levels. It starts with uh, the collective idea. So, you know, there's this like universal, uh, like unspoken standard of beauty that everyone subscribes to. And then from there, it trickles down into institutional discrimination. 
So when you go to a store like Nike or Aritzia and they don't carry larger sizes or their mannequins and the people in their advertisements are only shaped in a certain way, that's sending us a very covert message that only people that look like this can shop here or are welcome or are considered beautiful and worthy by us. And then from there, it trickles down to interpersonal. So, you know, what you were saying about people complimenting you about your weight loss or your body changing that to us like we perceive that as a compliment like oh like good job you look great but what that's actually saying is wow you are worthy now of my praise but before you weren't um which is so toxic because we don't (laughs) catch it we just focus on the in the moment feel goodness and then lastly from interpersonal relationships it trickles down to personal or individuals um and so we navigate the world believing that beauty is the standard it's not me it's someone else i have to do these things in order to be beautiful it's so intensely built into our society in so many industries and you're right it's not inclusive it's not inclusive Mm -hmm. of all bodies and all bodies are not meant to look the same Mm -hmm. we're not meant to all be twigs and that's okay and that's beautiful in its own right I was reflecting on I was reflecting on something. I don't know if you've experienced this or you experienced this as well. But when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, like I was taught so much, like in my head, right? Like the world sort of taught me, I was teaching myself that the size of your body dictated like how worthy you were as a person. So the level of comparison like every person that I looked at I was so deep in this comparison game every person I looked at I would analyze is my how's my body how's their body are we different are are they the same like it was crazy I saw people as bodies wow crazy like because I taught myself to do that and that's what I was valuing immediately in Mm -hmm. someone now like I don't I don't even think about that, right? Like I see people as humans and I don't see people as their body. But I just thought that was so crazy and I think we get into this comparison game like when that's what we're valuing. I remember um, going to university or hopping on a TTC train and I would notice if I was the thinnest person in the Mm -hmm. room. And if I wasn't, then I would tell myself like, you need to be thinner than. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. someone out there that's thinner than you. And that's so fucked up. But at the time, that was completely rational to me. Yeah. It was like very justified and it was almost a noble cause. Like, wow, you're so hardworking. You constantly want to be the best. Good work. Right. Um, and, and now looking <laughs> yeah. back, like that is incredibly awful um, for me to d- reduce myself to just a body and then reducing other people to just a body. It does such an injustice. Mm-hmm. One thing that I always like to say um, is that the least interesting thing about us are our physical appearances or our bodies. <laughs> and that was something that I completely didn't believe in back then what was it that made you want to change like Mm. what made you want to evolve away from your disordered eating behaviors um that's a great question I think at the time I didn't realize this but in hindsight I can see that it was because my friend circle changed Mm. I was surrounded by people that just didn't entertain this need to be like conventionally beautiful in any way and also they were very good at praising me for my like character or the person that I was rather than what I look like so I really appreciated that I think they showed me that I can be someone different there's another way or there's another version of me out there that I can be and still be appreciated 
Um, so it was super helpful. It's incredible. It's incredible how influential people are yeah. in the circle that you surround yourself with. Is is that when you is that when you found CrossFit? Like that that was the group of people, or was that kind of after? I think that was a start. Mm-hmm. I think CrossFit was a start um, because. For those of you who have never done CrossFit, it's very much focused on performance. So what the body can do. If you watch the CrossFit Games documentary on Netflix, you'll notice that the women, they have thick cores. They're not like the hourglass shape that you'll see in most fitness magazines or bodybuilding magazines. Um, So that to me was very interesting. They were were focused on, I want to do a muscle up or I want to snatch my body weight. Um, So that was a start. And then I would say... Um, after I started working for Lululemon, mm-hmm. that was a huge turning point was um, there was this focus on mindfulness and integrity versus being mm-hmm. pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those really strong values. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was a couple of things. Um, first of all, I felt like crap. Like, oh yeah, there was that. I felt like shit. <laughs> my hair I was no falling energy. out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my hair got so thin. My hair got so thin that I actually got extensions because it, oh. it was like chopping off so much yeah. that... My nails weren't growing, you know, I was sick, like, I felt crappy. So that was part of it for sure. I think another part of it was um, feeling a bit like an imposter. So when this was happening, I was starting to become a personal trainer and I had clients that I was talking about healthy fitness and nutrition too. Mm -hmm. And I think after a while, like, that just, that just doesn't align, right? You're mm-hmm. like, I'm sitting here preaching this and I'm not living it. So I think that was that was definitely a piece of it as well. It's like I just started to zoom out and see a bigger picture, I think, of what really matters, you know? Yeah. What really matters in this world. But I love that you said people because I think people can have such a massive influence on our beliefs, which can be a really good thing and or a really bad thing. Like, we really have to be careful about the circles that we're spending time in. Yeah, and I think knowing um, how, like, what your relationship is with feedback and authorities is really Mm -hmm. important. For me, Mm -hmm. like, I had such a people-pleasing quality to me, or, like, I wanted to impress everyone and make everyone happy, um, that that worked against me at the end of the day. And I read this book, um, I want to say her name is Gretchen Rubin. She has a book called The Four... Um, four tendencies. The four tendencies, exactly. Yeah, good. Completing my sentence <laughs> gotcha. over here. <laughs> yeah, and so that shed a lot of light on my relationship with accountability and commitment. Mm-hmm. So basically, she breaks down people into four very generalized categories. There's the obliger mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. thrives on external accountability, and that's mm-hmm. what I am. There's the rebel, that's someone who needs to decide for themselves or make change for themselves. There's the questioner, the person who needs to gather all the data, all the information before they make a change. And then there's also the upholder. I think the upholder is the one where they just, they're very interested in like, what are the rules? And Mm. like, what is what are the expectations and what is the structure? And I'm going to fit in it. Like they, they really, those are the people that really struggle if like the light is red but there's no one coming to cross the street. You know what I mean? Because they're like, but this is the way it's supposed to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think. Yeah, because right here it says, in a nutshell, remember, upholders want to know what should be done. So right. they are very much like rule followers within the box. Questioners want justifications. Obligers need accountability. So they need someone else outside of themselves to hold them accountable. And then rebels want freedom to do something their own way. 
the really interesting part about this is um, she she also talks about these four personality types in relation to habits mm-hmm. and how habits manifest in our life. And I think um, I think sometimes when we talk about behaviors and we talk about tendencies and behavior, we like to we like to say like speak as if there are rules like universal rules about everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think with everything. I know this from being a personal trainer, but with everything, not the same route is not going to work for everyone. So understanding that there isn't really a right or wrong way to arrive at some of these things, I think is is important in understanding that we're all very much individual and what we need to hold us accountable or what we need to cause us to adopt a new behavior, for example, it's all different. Yeah. It's not the exact same path for everyone. So Absolutely. there's something empowering about knowing which type you are, whether you're using these four tendencies or any like personality typing thing. There's something empowering about that because you understand you stop looking and saying, "Well, what worked for Corinne? Why isn't it working for me?" And you mm-hmm. go, "Oh, because She's a questioner and I'm a rebel, so of course, like I'll take a different path, right? Right. And what I also love about personality tests is you can read about other personalities and learn from them. Yeah. Like if I know that I'm an obliger, <laughs> maybe on some things I can learn to be more like the rebel or more like the questioner or more like the upholder. You know, there are qualities about other people that we can try to emulate or introduce into our own lives too. Um, so. Sometimes I find that this happens, especially with astrology. People are like, I'm such a cancer. Like, this is just a cancer thing to do. It's like, just because you're a cancer doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. You can be a better person and learn from other astrologies or personality types. You know what I mean? We tend to, like, identify with our box and we stick to it. Yeah, that's that's the piece about identity. And if, if you mm. believe a certain thing about your identity, it then comes true, right? Whatever we believe about ourselves is true. So yeah, I think it's important to understand that there are different ways of thinking and there are different identities that you can embody because that's how you that's how you you even picture being able to make a change, right? Yeah. So are you a rebel in out mm. of four tendencies? Do you remember? Um, what would I be? I probably have some upholder in me. <laughs> like a little bit of a rule follower. <laughs> Not a rebel. No. Um, what's the one that's like go back to them real quick? Questioner is the other one. I feel like I'm a questioner. Mm. Yeah, because I don't need I don't need external accountability. I'm not just looking to please other people. Um, but yeah, probably probably a questioner. I like all the info. Mm. That makes sense. Cool. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's helpful also to know what the people in your life are too, because then you can support each other in the way that you need to be supported. So now I know I'll need to justify everything with you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right, exactly. <laughs> That's good. Um, have you in your experiences ever counted macros? I did count macros, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I counted, there were kind of three phases of my eating disorder, okay. and the final one was the one where I was counting macros. So actually because of that, I had a very, very bad taste in my mouth about counting macros Mm. because I I thought that was the reason that, like I I thought it contributed to me going down a not great path, if that makes sense. But um, I've actually recently switched my views on it a little bit Mm. because I think that while it wasn't a good experience for me in that headspace, I think that you can learn a lot. And I think I take for granted a lot of the things that I learned from doing it, even though I was doing it in a very restrictive way and I was too obsessive about it. 
I learned a lot about nutrition that now informs my choices. And I, I take that for granted sometimes. Yeah, I can totally see why though. It can be so easy to feel resentful towards macros because it brings out, it can bring out a very nasty side of a person, mm-hmm. like a very rigid, extreme, and almost like um, like a cultish following within a, within a human being. Um, what made you change your stance? Was it more education? Was it more reflection? I think realizing, now doing some nutrition coaching and realizing, like, we have this tendency that we think whatever we know, that everybody just knows. <laughs> so I think that people just know that an egg is made up of protein and fat. But that's that's not necessarily true. That's not mm-hmm. necessarily something everyone knows. I, I feel like everyone knows that sweet potatoes are a carb, but not necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I think I was taking for granted having those building blocks of information about nutrition. And as I've done more nutrition coaching and realized that we like I need to teach people that, I've realized that, hmm, what, what would be a good way for them to learn what is in their food? Well, it would be understood, like looking at what are the macros that make up this food? And so I think that that slowly helped, like made me start to, to switch my viewpoint on it a little bit. Because I think it, I think it's important. I think it's important to know what's in your food so you can make educated decisions about what you want to eat in that moment, and it just needs to be done in not a not this rigid, right, obsessive way. Like I think there's for sure a, a better way to do it and a worse way to do it. Yeah, but yeah. I'm definitely switching my views on it. Interesting. I think that's incredibly mature. Mm. I think it's easy to take stances or take sides in nutrition because people make it very black or white. Um, but it takes someone who's very mature and very good at their craft to see that, oh, there are merits to this or there are parts of this that could benefit a specific circumstance. I think we have to be careful. Fitness and nutrition can get really dogmatic. Mm, good and word. we can get very judgmental about certain things, certain camps, certain philosophies, certain ways of doing things. I'm questioning a lot of things lately, to be honest. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> right. I think it's good. I think it's good. I think it's good to understand, like, I'm living under by this principle. Why am I living by this principle? And what could be evidence against it? They're all just tools. Exactly. How do you want to use the tool? Use yeah. the tool at the right time, in the right place, in the right way. But you don't. You don't need to bash the tool and say like never use that tool, right? So, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been thinking about a lot that a lot when it comes to, to sure. fitness and nutrition. And new science is always coming out. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody thinks that science is so factual, but until you've gone to like a re- you've gone through research in your background, then you know that everything is there's so many confounding variables. <laughs> everything yeah. is so uneven. They're constantly changing. Like. Now we know that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, but maybe 10 years down the road, they're going to discover that mitochondrias are also a whole other cell (laughs) in itself. Like, I don't know. I'm just making that up. But you know what I mean? Like possibilities are endless. So for people to just hang their heads on one thing and be so rigid and dismissive to other people's opinions is unfortunate. The way that experiments are designed have such a massive impact on the results that they get. Mm -hmm. And... It's a little bit dangerous when people are willing to quote one study that they read the abstract on and be like, this is fact, and let's now perpetrate this as fact. Mm-hmm. Like, 
like you're saying, there are just so many confounding variables that we cannot account for. Like you, you can't possibly. So yeah, science is definitely not um, nearly as black and white of a thing as we like to think it might be. A lot of researchers are not objective. They are funded or they have <laughs> yeah. agendas yeah. or they have companies uh, or t- ties to companies. Um, so I think that's where working with a professional is really valuable. And that was something that really helped me once I realized that this was a change I needed to make was working with nutrition coaches and trainers and experts and taking courses and things like that. And because those people are able to look at my life in an objective way, not these researchers that I've never met, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are some reasons that you don't count macros anymore? Hmm. Um, I think I feel like I want to be a little more intuitive about my nutrition, although I have a lot of problems with um, this concept of intuitive nutrition because it confuses me a lot, actually, which mm-hmm. I want to talk about. Um, but yeah, I think I just I just realized that I, I need to be okay with flexibility in my life and where mm-hmm. I am right now is at a place where... I understand that I have some like really strong and robust habits surrounding my eating and my nutrition that serve me very well. But also like life happens when you're at a birthday party and there's cake or you have pizza in the park on a Friday night. Like Mm -hmm. that's life and I want to be part of that fully and not have it in the back of my head of like, okay, well like that was a really carb heavy day on Friday or whatever. Like I, I think that there's a lot of merit in just like letting all of that go and just 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 be um and you can always cycle back around to it right and you can always check in and see like okay where am i ish right now am i getting enough protein to support my strength training or whatever but but yeah i think for me it was very important to to just move away from that and just let it go for a while what about you? You tracked your macros for a while. I did, yeah. At the time, I was in university, and then uh, pretty much after I graduated, I slowly transitioned off of it. Um, I think what worked for me on macros was that, uh, again, it kind of goes back to the education piece, was I didn't realize that I didn't know how to eat protein. So yeah. that that taught me that <laughs> very important lesson that I now carry yeah. with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and it also worked out well because I was competing in CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting at the time and I needed to be in a weight class. Mm. Um, so it allowed mm-hmm. me to feel a sense of control over my performance because then I could you know, increase macros on certain days that I had heavy squats or heavy training sessions and then decrease it on days where I didn't need as many calories to help me stay within a weight class. However, after I ended my very short-lived competing season, um, I think I realized that there were other things that I needed to learn outside of macros, Mm -hmm. like more about myself as a person or the relationship that I had with food and my body. Um, And those weren't conducive with this method of like measuring and calculating and thinking about food all the time, planning things out all the time. Um, and now in my practice, I very much believe in using macronutrients as like a short-term tool. Mm. But in the long run, I always, always try to help my clients to transition off of it and adopt something that's more intuitive. Yeah, yeah. 
I definitely agree. It is pretty cool, though, that you can use nutrition, leverage it in that way for performance, mm-hmm. for these short-term things, these short-term goals. I so also think that that is awesome. Like, you can use carbs or carb cycling to boost your performance when you need. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that is so dope. My husband's a soccer player, and he's experimented around with that a little bit. And I just mm-hmm. think, like, that's also so cool, you know? So, yeah, I think there are obviously many sides to the many sides to the puzzle. I think with any diet, there's a prerequisite of you have to be able to come off of the diet or you can't only rely on the diet for forms of control in Mm -hmm. your training, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think that's what I was doing is Mm. this was the only thing. So I really went all in on it and that's not healthy. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are your thoughts on intuitive eating? <laughs> I feel like I got a glimpse <laughs> of your opinion, so now I'm a little hesitant. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it's interesting. I also think I'm a little confused by the premise of okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think it could be feasible, and I think it could work for a lot of people, but it takes work together. For a lot of people, they mm-hmm. think, oh, you just listen to your body. That's so easy. I've been living with my body for the last 27 years. Uh, I obviously know what it needs, and that's not true because we've spent so much time um, almost like ignoring signs of our body or trying to misdirect our bodies in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are prerequisites for intuitive eating to be successful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that's what confuses me a little bit mm-hmm. um, because I think the concept is lovely and I think this idea of trusting your intuition mm-hmm. and what your body knows and that there's some kind of like inner wisdom there like I think that I think there's something there 100% and I'm not yeah I, I think I'm just confused by the concept because I think I'm a pretty self-aware person at this point like I think that like I, I know what's going on with my body <laughs> like you know I'm pretty like in tune but still, at any given moment, I can't just like right now be like, I know exactly what I need. I'm deficient like, in magnesium and iodine. <laughs> like, no. Right? Like, yeah. some of it's up here. Some of it I'm like, oh, I really, you know, I think I like need some more protein for dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. And then I feel good about that. So, I don't know. There, there are some things that I get and some things I don't. I think, like, let's say 10 years ago, if I'd eaten fast food, I was so unaware of what my body needed that I wouldn't have even realized how it made me feel. Now I know if I eat fast food, I'm gonna feel like crap. Like I know exactly what that feels like to eat those like processed oils. Like I I just know the feeling. So I don't know, like I guess that's intuitive, but also I've learned so much about nutrition to know, hey, like I feel like I I know the feeling of, I feel like I haven't eaten enough carbs. Mm But I think that's because I have so much background knowledge. Like, I don't think that someone can honestly just walk, like decide to be an intuitive eater mm-hmm. and have never learned all this stuff about nutrition. Do you 100%. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's confusing for me. I think evolutionarily speaking, we have evolved to know, like to mm. understand the language of our body, mm. to know what to eat and when to eat and what kinds of foods are available at that time in our area that we, whatever, our hunter-gatherers in. Um, so I get that from like a very primitive standpoint, or not from a primitive standpoint, that's a wrong word, like but from ancestral. a standpoint of, exactly, of yeah. like going back to primitive times. Mm-hmm. However, in the modern society, we are inundated with so many messages about food and our bodies and our 
like level of productivity and stress and stimulus are completely different than before. So in order for us to get back to that point of being able to be intuitive, it takes education and it takes unlearning and relearning of things. That, I guess, goes back to like what I said about prerequisites. I think number one, you need to be eating whole foods in order for you to be able to eat intuitively. Mm -hmm. Because there are foods out there that are designed by engineers and chemists (laughs) to be hyper palatable. There's a reason why you can open a bag of chips and you can't stop until it's all gone. Because it's designed and engineered to be that way. So whereas with an apple or a bag of apples, you couldn't do that, right? right? Um, And then the second thing is you have to have a healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to you know, appreciate your body and appreciate other aspects of yourself. Um, and food can't take on that very toxic, like outlet or um, almost like comforting and therapeutic um, role in your life. And then, last but not least, I think you do need to understand physiology to a certain point. You need do need to have an understanding of macros, carbs, fats, proteins, micronutrients, and what they do for you, mm-hmm. so that when a cue comes up, you can know like, oh, that's what I need. That's right. You just nailed it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, it's hard to communicate all of that, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> people kind of want, um, they want the elevator pitch mm-hmm. of like, yes or no. I get asked mm-hmm. about keto and intermittent fasting at least four times a day. <laughs> and I'm like, who, who are you? Yeah. What, what are your goals? What, what's your blood sugar like? I don't know who you are. Yeah. Do you know how to cook? Like all of these little factors play into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. How would you classify a healthy relationship with food? What do you feel like that means? Great question. I think you put it really well. Um, That's using nutrition as a tool or seeing it as a tool. Um, And so I guess in other words, people have said it it, it is fuel for your body, Mm. right? Mm. Um, And of course, I think it takes on like the roles of like celebration and comfort and security and all of that. It just can't be your only source of security Mm. or comfort. Mm. What about you? I think this is another one that I've started to question a lot, to be honest. I think what Just I, questioning life in general. That's right. <laughs> so it's a very, very confusing time. <laughs> um, no, not really. But I think I believe a healthy relationship with food is one where food is not a coping mechanism for you to be dealing with something underlying. I think sometimes eating is emotional like you said celebratory or mm-hmm. you know it brings up feelings of nostalgia like food does not exist void of emotions mm-hmm. so I think yes food is fuel and it could not be fuel like I think both are right you know mm-hmm. what I mean so I think just if it is a coping mechanism or if you're leveraging it for a reason that is something external like changing your aesthetics or you're only leveraging it for performance but that's like ruling you like I think for a short period of time Mm -hmm. it's fine but if that's like like you feel like you have to do that Mm -hmm. I think that that's when it's not a healthy relationship with food or if you have fear around food like that's an easy one right Mm -hmm. like if you're afraid of eating certain foods or certain food groups like you need eh, help. It's a problem, right? Like yeah. you shouldn't be you shouldn't be afraid of food. Like all food is okay. It's not like it's a bad thing, right? It's just like what what are you doing on a consistent basis? So yeah, I think that's that's where I've arrived at this point. Really well said. I I think what it comes back to for me is intent. It's like mm-hmm. 
you have to be intentionally and mindfully making these choices. If there's another motivating factor or some sort of thing that you're reacting to, then you're out of control or you're out of intention Mm -hmm. and that puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, I Mm -hmm. definitely agree. Well, do you still feel any anxiety? Like, do you feel anxiety at all around nutrition these days? I actually wouldn't call it anxiety anymore. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think it's that intense. I think I do still get uncomfortable sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've been reflecting because actually this week has been a bit of a weird week for me just because I have some, like I've been alluding to, like some pretty strong habits around nutrition and habits around sleep. And when I have a full week where those kind of get messed up, it... I feel a little something. Like, I just don't <laughs> yeah. quite feel like myself. The upholder's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. These rules that I set for myself. No, they're not really rules. No, they're no, just, like, things that I normally would do if it were under my control. And so I think that there are for sure still elements of relinquishing that control and being okay for the week. And, you know, I also didn't feel that great this week because of it, but being okay with that. Um, so I think that those are the things that I'm still working through. But it's funny, the time that I'm okay with doing it is, like, uh, last November, Eric and I went on a three-week trip to Spain, which was beautiful and lovely. It's not going in right before COVID, thank God. But on that three-week trip, I actually did not feel any of that underlying discomfort because I was going in being like, this is what is supposed to happen. Like, I am not letting any of the, oh, I don't want to be eating at 10 p.m. Like, none of that shit was going to affect my trip. Like, Mm. I was like... I'm here, I'm present, I'm in this for the experience. But when it's a normal week and I'm at home and I feel like there is no like reason that it should be not great, that's when I still feel like a little bit of yeah something, if that makes sense. But you know, that's good. Like I'm working through it. I feel like totally. I'm aware of it and it definitely doesn't like derail me by any means. Yeah. And the fact that you're taking ownership, like you're no- noticing that you are the person that's creating those feelings mm-hmm. and you can take them away, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. great. I think in previous years I would have displaced that to food I would have been like oh no carbs are the problem I can't eat carbs anymore if I start I just can't stop like you know what I mean yeah do you ever feel anxious around food I think very similar to what you said it's not anxiety it's more discomfort and I'm also hyper aware of how I frame um, the language that I use around food for myself I think it's so fascinating that our brains are in such control over our perception of everything. We can go through the same exact scenarios because I've like overeaten at every Christmas dinner ever, you know? But in previous years, that would have confirmed my like limited beliefs about myself being like not disciplined enough, not working hard enough, not being able to say no. Whereas now um, it's confirming the belief that I have about you're allowed to have these foods, you're permitted, you know, food is your friend. Like, it's so crazy that we're in such control over the way that we perceive the world. We can never forget that we wear a certain pair of glasses when Mm -hmm. we look at the world. You have on a different pair, my husband's on a different pair, everyone in the world has on a different pair of glasses, and so we're seeing things through that lens. I could not agree with you more that your beliefs around something, the way you're talking to yourself around something, like that is so huge, right? Exact same scenario, you now approached it differently, had different thoughts about it, therefore felt differently about it, Mm -hmm. therefore, you know, the next day, like went probably went about your day differently. Like that is that is massive and the only thing that changed was this. 
Yeah. The only thing that changed Between was the, years. the way that you saw it. That is, exactly. it's so cool and so scary all at the same time That's because it's it. like, man, we don't even see how we're perceiving things. Like we mm-hmm. don't even understand. Like, yeah, we just, we think that the, what we see is fact, but it's just, it never is. Right. Never is. Exactly. And that's why having people around you that are almost like mirrors to reflect what you're doing and then also approaching every relationship in that way too. Like whatever you find to be annoying or lovely in the other person is a mirror for how you think of yourself. Yeah. What are like three nutrition principles you currently live by or that really inform your decisions around food? Hmm. Principles. Um, I would say... Well, there are like, okay, there are three main things that I sort of focus on when it comes to nutrition, and I think that these are like the biggest three solid habits, and then there's like flexibility within that. Mm-hmm. So I try to eat on a time schedule. I don't call it intermittent fasting because I did intermittent fasting for a while and it effed up my hormones. So women oh, out there, if you're thinking yeah. about intermittent fasting, like please just realize that we are not the same as men. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't we- work the same. But yeah, so I eat on a a schedule, which means that I normally eat a pretty early dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, I always eat breakfast, but then I eat a pretty early dinner. So like that schedule, I feel like is really solid for me Mm -hmm. and just like regulating my circadian rhythm and making sure that my sleep is good. So there's that. Then I think being mindful about your nutrition and how it's making you feel in general is just a good thing. And that's the awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to like meditate every time you eat. Like it's nothing crazy. It's just... I'm aware of what's going on my plate and how am I consuming it and how is it making me feel. Like it really is that simple. And then I always just try to have balance of all the macros and variety. Like balance and variety to me is like the third thing. And I think as long as you have that, there's no reason to be afraid of one specific food. Mm -hmm. Because overall, you're getting the balance of what you need and you're going to be nourished just fine. Yeah. And nutrition really can be that simple. People really like love to geek out over biohacks and things like yeah. that, and I'm all for it, like meal timing, supplementation, yeah. and whatnot. Um, I think those things are very interesting to me too. But if you're skipping steps and then going directly to doing those things, you're not going to see the results that you want, or they're not going to last. Yeah. Um, so I think my top three, number one for me, is drinking enough water. Nice. I just nice. feel yeah, like I didn't even touch on water. That's so true. I, so there are so many huge. principles. Like oh, it, we can probably between the two of us, we can be here for hours talking about nutrition <laughs> principles. But if I were to yeah. think of top three, because I did travel yeah. a lot in the last few years, mm-hmm. um, and so I needed a few non-negotiable items for yeah. me to feel like grounded and in control of my nutrition and the way that I'm taking care of myself. And water has always been like that thing. If I under drink or un- dehydrate myself, um, I feel it. Yeah. And it shows up in my food choices, my sleep, in my training, everything. So definitely water. Um, and then the next thing for me is getting five different vegetables every day. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when that I started, that. but I remember reading an article that was like, if you aim to get five different sources of like low uh low starch high fiber plants every day you're likely getting a really good balance of minerals and vitamins Mm -hmm. and then also Mm -hmm. um like obviously fiber is really really important nice yeah and then my third one i want to say is kombucha but it's not (laughs) i want to be on brand and be like i drink kombucha every day just because i do um (laughs) 
I guess the best way to put it is like taking ownership over your nutrition in the way of cooking or Mm. trying to source your food really responsibly. So that to me is twofold, like trying to get seasonal and local where possible, not only because it's more nutrient dense and better for the environment, but because I also just love to support like small business owners, farmers, people that uphold our food system. And I really believe that we vote with our dollars. So when you choose to invest in foods that come from a good place you're supporting those businesses to grow and to further their venture um, and you're also driving out the people that are monopolizing the industry right now so yeah food security is like a huge element i love those mm-hmm. love that thank you well thank you so much for being on this podcast yeah of course i am very very grateful to have you here before i get you to plug all of your amazing um outlets and platforms i want to go through a round of rapid fire questions with you okay fun. are you ready <laughs> oh boy yeah i'm ready oh my gosh yeah no usually i say they're rapid fire but usually i'll spend like a good four to five minutes questioning <laughs> each one be like what do you mean by that <laughs> well first line where were you born i was born in cincinnati ohio so exotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah um what is like the capital food of cincinnati i feel like they're skyline chili mm-hmm. yes because yeah. in um because i guess another food for ohio would be buckeyes yes like. yes because the ohio state buckeyes yeah yeah definitely <laughs> uh what's your Hold favorite that. animal well, my dog is my favorite animal. <laughs> I have a golden retriever named Molly, and she's the light of my world, so she's my favorite. And you had a dog person before. No. Wow, that really changes things. It's crazy. Once you get a dog, guys, you'll never look back. If you think you're not a dog person, you're really just missing out. This and is another limiting belief, you know, that I had. <laughs> retrievers specifically will change your mind. Yeah. Like, nothing's cuter than a retriever. Um, how do you take your coffee? Do you drink coffee? Okay. Always. Cool. Yeah. What's your favorite sport to watch? Well, my husband would kill me if I didn't say soccer. So I'll say soccer. <laughs> Best is soccer. Soccer, soccer. Okay, cool. Uh, what would your last meal on earth be? Pizza. No question. Pizza is my favorite food always. I will always be happy with pizza. Do you have a favorite pizza joint in the city? In the city? Um, yes, Maker Pizza is my favorite mm. in the city. Blondie's also rocks, though. <sighs> Yeah, and they Descendant. Do have you had Descendant? I have not. I've Detroit heard... style, really thick crust, which I don't normally like, but uh-huh. man, it it surprised me. Ooh, it was really good. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm very, there. I'm starving now. <laughs> we gotta eat something after this. Um, what's your go-to karaoke song? Do you have one? Karaoke's not my thing. <laughs> but if I was going You're, to She's great course. at dancing, though. <laughs> she will create a dance to accompany your karaoke performance. Yeah, I, I dance, I don't sing, but... If I was forced, I would sing Shallow from A Star Is Born. Whoa, that, you need range for that one. Rocks. I'm very impressed. I guess that's ambitious. But <laughs> you I won't be singing now. it because I don't do karaoke, so it doesn't matter. Um, do you have a favorite place that you've ever visited? Yeah, Barcelona, Spain. Barcelona. Okay, um, this is a very unpopular opinion, but everyone that I've talked to loves Bar Ravel in the city, which does tapas and pinchos. Mm -hmm. But what irks me is all of that food costs like two euros in Barcelona because I think they're modeled after there's a region or there's a neighborhood in Barcelona called Ravel. Um, and so it's named after that. But yeah, I go there and I'm like, $20 for tapas. It's like two euros in Barcelona. How dare you? But it's amazing. It's so delicious. Yeah. Um, a quote that motivates you? It's not exactly a quote, but it's a saying. Um, 
one of my mentors always says this and it just like really sticks with me perfection is the enemy of success as a recovering perfectionist this is very important for me to be able to actually move forward with things like if we're striving for perfection you you won't move forward right you'll you'll just be in that fear so perfection is the enemy of success it's my favorite right now if you weren't working in fitness what would you be doing would you be dancing yeah i would love to say that (laughs) um i think there's so i I don't know if I can answer this one. Sorry, this is not rapid fire. I, there's oh, okay. so many things that I've imagined myself doing over the years from like neurosurgeon to writer to dancer. Like I've literally imagined it all. So it's very hard to answer, but we can go with dancer because okay. I did, I like, I loved dance obviously for many, many years. So, so multifaceted. Yeah. <laughs> She's a neurosurgeon who I'm dances. not a specialist. And also writes, exactly. <laughs> I'm a generalist. Jack of all trades. <laughs> Jill of all trades. Uh, do you have a favorite kombucha flavor or like a flavor combo that you think I should try? Um, when I was brewing, mm-hmm. she makes her own kombucha. Yeah, I'm not currently, but when I was brewing, I loved. I had a couple favorites. First, apple cinnamon. Mm-hmm. You done it? Yeah, I ha- have fall. some right now. Oh, we can shit. have some after. Amazing. Okay, <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna give you anything you haven't done. That's and, not true. Uh, pear ginger. Those were my like oh, faves. Also very good. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for answering all of those questions. We got through it relatively quickly. Quickly, um, Why don't you tell the good people at home where they can find you, where they can follow you, and your podcast. Make sure to plug that because it's a great listen. Cool. Thanks. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, obviously. My handle is at CaseyMZav. You can find my podcast, which is called How Do You Feel, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and a couple other random podcasting platforms. <laughs> Um, and then if you want to check out DTS fitness education courses, if you are a fitness mm-hmm. enthusiast or a trainer, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you check that out, dtsfitnesseducation.com. And yeah, I think that those are the best ways. Thanks so much for having me on. This was really fun. Yay! Thank you! <laughs> and if you guys at home want to follow me, Corinne, uh, my Instagram is at kombucha.mami. And of course, the podcast Instagram is at boochpleasepodcast. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye!